0: Amen. Ready, set, go. Isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Not all this other stuff we've been studying. Ready, set, go. Four sections that we've done on the book of Deuteronomy, looking at the four speeches or sermons that Moses gave. And that first one was ready, set, slow. Ready, set, slow. The people were in bondage for 400 years. They had now been released They had this great victory. They were hanging around a mountain for a year or so. They got the law, the instructions on the tabernacle. They're being tested in the wilderness for 40 years, and that's what's coming up. But they didn't go directly into the land. We saw a cycle that came up. They were blessed, they murmured, they suffered, and then they cried out to the Lord. The application of hurry, ready, set, slow is to take time to reflect, Sometimes we get so busy that we don't take time to reflect, to just stop and to meditate and look into God's Word. Pastor Brandon told us four things we would gain if we did that. We would be wise. We would remember God's goodness. We would return to a closer relationship with God. And we would have a cause to wonder as we learn the things of God. As we reflected on Him, we would become His reflection. The next section was ready, set, grow. It started off in chapter 5 with hear the word, learn the word, and observe the word. There was a reason in chapter 6. It said that your days are prolonged, things would be well with you, and you would multiply greatly. And in all these chapters, over and over, the principle was laid out love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Obey his law, and all things will be good for you. Moses was telling them, you're ready to go into the promised land. You're set to go into the promised land. But before you go, take some time to grow. Pay attention to his word. Get to know it better. Over and over, that command is repeated. I think Pastor Brandon mentioned 38 times in the chapters that he had It was repeated, keep the commands of the Lord. And the purpose was in chapter 6, verse 24, for our good always. It's so important for us to realize that the law of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord, the instructions in the New Testament, they're not grievesome. They're not heavy. They're not hard. They're for our good. We need to know them. In those chapters, a question was asked, what does the Lord require of you? Fear the Lord your God. Respect him with a reverence. Walk in all his ways. Love him. Serve him. And keep his commandments. And that's still true for us today. Um, Moses ended his second speech with, again, one last reminder. Observe the commandments. Walk in and keep them. You're a special people. He will set you on high above all the nations, and you will be a holy people, if you will be uh, willing and obedient. Now what I found interesting is that that concept hasn't changed. Moses is here saying it about 1400 B.C. Isaiah says it in chapter 1 about 700 B.C. If you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you'll be devoured. Jesus comes along 700 years later. Sounds like every 700 years it's repeated. It's repeated. If you love me, keep my commandments. And so that has been repeated over and over. And then last week, we looked at ready, set, yes or no, Moses' third speech. Stones with the law recorded on them were brought in, and an altar was brought in. We read uh, the, the words in um, chapter 11. Let me read these again. This is where we kind of got some of our yes or no. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, that I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, but turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods in which which you have not known. He's basically saying to them, yes or no. And then we had that great scene. A million people on this mountain, a million people on this mountain. The Levites down in the middle saying, be blessed and the people would say amen, and be cursed, what the other mountain would say, and be, they would say amen. Cursed for disobedience. They kept saying amen, 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 or yes, indeed, we're going to do it. And then in chapter 28, just before our, our chapters last week, we saw that the nation was going to be lifted up. They were going to be a very special people. And we talked a little bit about Israel being a type a type of the believer, but it's also a type of the whole church. Moses then described the blessings and the cursings that would come upon the nation of Israel if they obeyed and if they did not obey. We saw in history that they received both. At times they were greatly blessed, at times they were greatly cursed. For us as Christians, these principles still apply to us today. When we're obedient, we can realize divine um, purpose, but when we are disobedient, many times that leads to disaster. Moses had reminded them of who they, who, of who their Lord was, and I wonder, and I thought about this even more, why hasn 't somebody stood up in Israel and reread these words to the nation? "If you keep my commandments, you will be blessed, who they are in people And then I asked you the question, well how does that apply to us? Some of you might say, Pastor Mike, we're not under the law anymore. We can't have a bunch of rules, and we can't have a bunch of regulations. That's not the way we do things anymore. It's just not right, because we're all under grace. You know that we're under grace. But I do think that it's yes or no to some things, because Jesus said, love one another. And I asked you the question, yes or no. Forgive one another, yes or no. Repent, yes or no. The Sermon on the Mount, are you going to be the salt and light? Yes or no. And you know those questions I asked you. Are you willing to go the second mile and love your enemies? Yes or no. Don't worry. Any of you worry this week? Any of you get anxious over something? Any of you get frustrated over something? Something didn't happen? Somebody didn't pay an invoice? Somebody didn't put your your automatic deposit in like it was supposed to? Something frustrated you and you got anxious and now you're worried. Are you going to pay your bills? We're not supposed to worry. Yes or no. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Abide in me. And then through the epistles, we went through a whole bunch. Don't let sin have dominion over you. Be kind one to another. Diligently, be diligent in your service to the Lord. Be patient in trials. Yes or no? Are you steadfast in prayer? How were you this week in your prayer life? Steadfast? Unmovable? Were you there praying, lifting up the church, lifting up your family? I know you did this one. Bless those who persecute you. Yes or no? Restore. Restore. Those who have been overtaken in a trespass with gentleness. Put off the old man. Do everything without complaining and murmuring. And then I confessed my sin that I had murmured. you remember that story? I had a better week. I didn't didn't complain and murmur as much. Um, Be anxious for nothing. Be content with such things as you have. Ready, set, yes or no. We had to ask ourselves those questions. Now the people are ready. And they're set. And let's jump ahead to Joshua. It's a couple chapters over. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go. Ready, set, go. And that's normally the way that we say that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful example that the nation of Israel is for us as believers, as we've seen them cry out to you. We've seen you bless them. We've seen them turn their back on you. We've seen the bondage. We've seen the different things that you've done, but always you have loved them, They have always been your people, and they have always been lifted up. Help us, Lord, to glean from uh, your scriptures tonight the things that you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the beginning of this third sermon, starting with chapter... I guess I can look up here, right? Chapter 29? Okay, starting with chapter 29. Verse 1 of chapter 29 actually belongs with chapter 28, so we're going to start our reading with verse 2. If you have an NIV or an ESV, there will be a footnote in your margin that will tell you that. So starting with verse 2 of chapter 29, let's read the first section. Now Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all the land the great trials which your eyes have seen, the signs and those great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and ears to hear to this very day. And I have led you forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandals have not worn out on your feet. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or similar drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you come to this place, Sihon, king of Hesbron, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us to battle, and we conquered them. We took their land and gave it to an inheritance to Reuben, to the Gadites, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh. Therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leader, and your tribes, and your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones, and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with the Lord God and into his oath, which the Lord your God made with you today that he may establish you today as a people for himself and that he may be God to you just as he had spoken to you and just as he had sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before the Lord our God as well as with him who is not here with us today. Amen. We should note that this appeal is to all the people in the camp—leaders, men, women, children, servants, and strangers. He has sworn you with; great, he has shown you great signs and great wonders. He says in verse four, "God has not given you a heart to perceive, or eyes to see, or ears to hear." You know. We're going to look at that a little bit deeper when we get to verse 29. But why wouldn't God give you eyes to see and ears to hear and a mind to perceive? In verses 5 and 8, God's great work for Israel in the wilderness. And then from 9 through 15, the people he is making the covenant with, the whole nation. Now the rest of the chapter goes on with the promises of the judgment against the covenant breakers and the purpose of the judgment. But I want to take a look at verse 29 of that chapter. 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of the law. In the midst of the encouragement and the instructions to obedience, Moses stops to give them a principle of God, of how God speaks to us. God has never, and he never does, reveal everything to man. Quite frankly, I think if he did, we couldn't contain it. We couldn't understand it. We would be awed too much by it. There are secrets that he has that are his secrets. He's God, and he's entitled to do that. He's bigger and smarter than us. And we must just simply accept his sovereignty that God knows more than he has revealed to us. In Isaiah, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heaven are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55. But it says, those things that have been revealed, God does reveal some things to us and to man, and he has. Since God is there and he is not silent, he continues to give us. We must do all that we can to pay close attention to those things that God has revealed to us. In his story, in the, in the scriptures that we have in the Bible, from the beginning to the end, there is a wonderful story It starts in the garden and will end in a garden in the book of Revelation. Third, the things that belong to us. He reveals those things that belong to us. It's meant to say something to us. When was the last time that you kind of got up from your devotions or from your reading and you just had that sense that the Lord spoke to me in this psalm, in this story, in this story that I've read a hundred times, but this time it meant something to me. It belongs to us. God didn't speak to blow our minds or to shake us up or to amuse us. He spoke to us the words that are in Scripture to encourage us and to lift us up and to bring us to Him. Fourth, it says that the words were given to our children. Those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children. God's revelation is transgenerational. God has a specific message for Moses' generation. But that was passed on to those children and passed on and passed on. We have it before us today. Larry's telling us a story. and He's asked for prayer that one of his kids is going up to talk to another kid about the things of the Lord. So the scriptures are being passed on. We have a bunch of young people upstairs right now that are hearing about the word of God. I went up just a few minutes ago and checked on the children's ministry to see how they're doing in there and they're singing Father Abraham and the word of God is continually being passed out to our children. The message goes on. It speaks to all generation. And then the word forever. God's revelation is eternal. It is forever. His word not only lasts forever, it is forever relevant. The scriptures that we're studying right now in Deuteronomy are very, very relevant. The scriptures we're going to study when we get into Joshua next week are very relevant for us today. And I think that's something sometimes we make a mistake on. We look at the Old Testament and say, well, that was good for them, but that's not the New Testament. It's not the grace that I want. But there's so much in there. My personal studies in the book of Deuteronomy have really enlightened me in a couple areas that I had missed before. And it was really kind of exciting to look into it and to study it and to um, uh, explore the things. You know, the, the word, it never gets old. It never loses its freshness. All we have to do is open it and study it and get into it. The purpose, it says finally there at the very end of that verse, that we may do all the words of this law. God's revelation must matter to us. Most of you are sitting here with a Bible or some facsimile of a Bible, a cell phone or laptop or whatever you're using, but it must be serious to you to come, spend time, open it up, read it, and let somebody talk to you about it. God's revelation does matter to us. We always want more. He's spoken it to us that he might affect our lives. He wants our lives to be changed. He wants us to be strengthened. If we're just hearers only, if that yes or no talk I gave you guys last week just stops with that, then you're just a hearer of it. And you might say, well, that was kind of interesting, but that was kind of judgmental, I thought. You know, that was kind of really got on me because he mentioned things that I don't do very well. And I'm supposed to say yes to it, but I've got to be honest. And I'm, no, I don't forgive my neighbor. No, I haven't repented of those sins. And, and, and he really kind of called me out. Well, the Word of God is supposed to do that. I wish it would do that to you by yourselves at home in the closet. I don't like doing it up here. It's not the right way to do it. But the Word of God has a purpose. God has spoken to it. He wants to affect our lives. So if we're only hearers of the Word... We have to be doers also so that we can really receive his word. And then in chapter 30, Moses, again, remember, this is his last sermon. This is the last opportunity he has to speak to the, to the nation. It's kind of another yes or no chapter. I just want to kind of highlight it to you. In the first 10 verses, he tells them what uh, would be times of blessing and times of cursing, which is the same story. In verse 8, he says, And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do his commandments, which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in your work of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, as he rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God and keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law. And if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. He points out to him again, there's going to be times when you are doing things right. Going to church, blessing the people you're you're raising your family. You're going to work. You're doing all the things right. You're kind of, everything's going cool. But then there's going to be times when you don't. There's going to be times when you just mess up. And that's what he tells them. There's times when I'll be able to bless you. There's going to be times when you're going to receive the curse or the judgment of your disobedience. But when you repent, God will. And that's what it says. And that's true for us. When we get caught up in something, when we're having one of those horrible weeks and horrible days and we don't even know Why we're calling ourselves Christian because it's just not working and the neighbors are just getting new boats and everybody's got a new this and that and I'm not doing it and I'm struggling with work and people aren't showing up and and invoices aren't getting paid and all that kind of stuff is going on and it just keeps going on and on and on. You wonder why. But when we repent, God will. God will make the work of your hands to abound. He will increase your childbearing. He will increase your livestock and your produce your produce, if you obey his voice and keep his commandments and turn to him. So let's look at verses 11 to 16 and 19 through 20 where he concludes this last sermon or parts of it with a choice. Verse 11 of chapter 30. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, It is not far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. See... I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, yes or no, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. And then jump down to verse 19. I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him. For he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. It's your choice. In the first 10 verses, Moses saw what was going to happen and he told the people about it. They would fall away, they would return to the Lord. But then in verse 11 with a statement, he tells them of the reasonableness of the commandments. It's not hard for them. The things that God asks us to do, the things that Jesus has instructed us to do, the things that Paul encourages us to do, they're not hard things. They're not up in heaven. They're not far away. They're not across the sea. They're not in some book that we can't understand. We have so much access to the Word of God. It's very near to us. It's in our hearts. It's in our mouth. Many of us can quote scriptures. Many of us can... Tell stories. Many of us listen to it all the time. In Psalms 119, I, I, I like this one because it's speaking of, of young men like us. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Great words for us to remember that those are the important things that we need to do. In verses 15 and 16, again he says, "I have said it before you. Choose life. Yes or no. And I think for those who have taught those of you who stand before um, for you I think I would hope Pastor Brandon would bear this out we want you to choose life. We want you to have an abundant life. We want you to have a victorious Christian life. We're asking you to choose it, and we're taking it from the Word of God that that's what we want you to have. Love the Lord your God. Walk in His ways. Keep His commandment. It's not hard. It's really not. We just need to stay in it. So choose life for both you and your descendants. In chapter 31, we see Joshua is appointed as the leader, and he's told, ready, set, go. Let's look at verses 7 and 8 chapter 31 Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of Israel be strong and of good courage for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to your fathers to give to them and you shall cause them to inherit it and the Lord is the one who goes before you he will be with you he will not leave you nor forsake you do not fear nor be dismayed Moses tells Joshua be strong and of good courage you must go into the land seven times that phrase is used to six times to Joshua and he says it once to be strong and of good courage I wonder what Moses saw in Joshua that he had to keep reminding him to be strong and of good courage Maybe he wasn't quite so strong in the natural, even though he was a soldier. Maybe there was something there that had to be courage, but it was said to him seven times. But he tells him to this, and I think this is important for us to know. He is the one, the Lord, he is the one that goes before you. What circumstances are you facing? He will be with you. He will not leave you he will not forsake you. Now, some of you this week may be facing some, some big things. Some of you may be facing something as simple as a driving test. But He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. So don't fear. and Don't be dismayed. See, if you have dinner with me and you say things, I might just sneak it in there, okay? So... <laughs> But that's what he's telling Joshua. Be strong. Be of good courage. Don't fear. The Lord is going to be with you. And then jump over to verses 19 and 22. Now, therefore, write down this song for yourself and teach it to the children of Israel. Put it in their mouth that this song may be a witness for me against the children of Israel. Therefore, Moses wrote the song the same day and taught it to the children of Israel. The Lord tells Moses, write a song. You know, many great songs exist that have continued from one generation to another, and they keep going. I won't try to sing these, but the battle hymn of the Republic has been around 150 years. It's a great song. When we sing a glory, glory, hallelujah, we love it. It has a ring to it. It's something we can get behind. The Star Spangled Banner, the same thing, written long time ago, but something that we all can grab onto and hold. I think if I said, anchors away, my boy, if we started to sing that, you'd stand up and say, go Navy, right? Yeah. Or the Marine Corps hymn. There are songs that just have a ring to them. There was one that my mom used to sing all the time, and I liked it because of the ring. And I, I don't know that there's many of us that would remember this because I think, you know, she was born in the early 1900s, so she was like from World War I. But it was over there, over there. Send the word to beware over there. The Yanks are coming, and we won't be back until it's over, over there. That song has a ring that still, if there was a war that we would sing, or Johnny, come marching home again. There's certain songs that we all have that we, that we can, can cling on to. I'm sure you have some. In the Christian faith, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. There are songs. It was said, I was reading one of the commentaries, that said that Wesley, the Wesley boys' songs have impacted the church more than all their preaching. Their songs are so powerful and so, so much, so sang in the hymns, of, in, in every hymnal you can see them, that it had more impact for the church than their preaching. So Moses does as the Lord commanded him. He's, he's practicing what he's preaching. The Lord said, keep my words. He says, write a song. And we're not going to go through the whole song, but I do want to go through the first three little sections, the th- first three stanzas, and take a look at them. So let's read um, Moses' song starting in chapter 32. And we'll go through... Um, Verse 14, First 14. Yeah, we're start, chapter 32, starting with verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, my raindrops on the tender herb, and as showers on the grass. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, Ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteous and upright is he. then he throws this in. I guess he has to. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children. Because of their blemish a perverse and crooked generation. Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who, brought you, who bought you? Has he not made you and established you? Remember the days of old and consider the years. Many generations, ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High divided their inheritance to the nations, when He separated the sons of Adam, He set the boundaries of the peoples according to the numbers of the children of Israel. For the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is the place of His inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up her nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them off on its wings. So the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. He made him to ride in the heights of the earth that he might eat and produce the fields. He made him draw honey from the rock and oil from the fiery rock, curds from the cattle and milk of the flocks, with fat of lambs and rams of the breed of Bashan and goats, with the choicest wheat, and you drank wine, the blood of the grapes. So in those first four verses, an introduction, Moses calls out not to just Israel, but to all creation. He proclaims the name of the Lord. He ascribes greatness to God. He is perfect and just, he says about him. And then a couple verses an accusation. The children have forsaken their father, his instructions. They've corrupted themselves. They are foolish and unwise people. He asks the question, "Is he not your father who brought you out, and he bought you? Has he not made you, and established you?" Questioning them, and then the recital. From verse 7 to 14, Moses recounts God's faithfulness. Remembers the days of old. Considers that this song was meant to be a witness against the rebellious Israel. If you look back in chapter 31, verse 19, it says that this song was going to be a song that would, would um, be a witness against Israel. But wrote Moses reminds all of Israel of God's goodness. This was to bring a greater conviction of sin and to remind people of God's love and grace they w- could return to. And Haven't we all been in one of those emotional services where at the end of this, the, the message someone sings Amazing Grace or Just As I Am or some current song about how God pursues us and loves us and chases after us. He's a good, good father and I'm so blessed by him. One of those songs just grabs our heart and pulls us back. That's what Moses' song was supposed to do for the nation of Israel. So this is a beautiful song. It's worth you reading and studying and going over a few times. It was really good. But after Moses sang the song, jump ahead with me to verse 45, where he finishes speaking to the people. Well, let's start with verse 44. So Moses came with Joshua the son of Nun, and he spoke all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel. And he said to them, Set your heart on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not futile or vain thing for you, because it is your life and by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. Let me ask you one more question about the songs. How many of you, without a hymnal, could sing Amazing Grace, the first verse? Okay, drop your hand if you can't do the, first, the second verse. How many of you could do first and second? I'm going to jump to the fourth because most of us don't know the third. How many of you can do the one about 10,000 years? How many of you can quote a scripture that long? Even just as long as the first verse. By putting it to song, we remember. Psalms 119, longest chapter in the Bible, is a song that the Hebrew children had to learn. Each one of those stanzas is a a song by itself, but they learn the whole song. We can do that because it's the melody, of that heart. And so putting verses to Scripture, how many Scriptures do we know have we learned because they were taught to us by our kindergarten teachers in song? That's how we learn those songs. Just threw that in there for extra. So it's not a futile thing. It's not a vain thing. I think one of Satan's great lies is that it's futile for you to go spend the time to learn his word and try to obey it. It's futile for you to spend time in church. It's vain for you to go and try to have relationship and think that those Christians are going to help you. He really takes a shot at us for that. It often seems that those who are against God prosper more than those who are with God. That's one of those lies of Satan. He says, you know, since you've been going to church, man, your life's falling apart but everybody else seems to be doing really great. <laughs> we need to really look at things, though, from the, inter- the eternal purpose and perspective. It's not futile. It's not vain to love the Lord. Our Christian life is not vain, for it's our life, and we are to reign in it. We are to reign in this life. We're to have a victorious Christian life. In chapter, 40, uh, chapter uh, 33 huh, 43. In chapter 33, Moses' final blessing on Israel. In the first five verses, it's very similar in the effect of the blessing that Jacob had on his 12 sons when he gave that in Genesis 49. Moses was the one who recorded that blessing of Israel in Genesis 49. It is not a stretch to think that he knew exactly what he was doing since he is now giving out his last blessing. The Lord came from Sinai in the midst of the image of God's glory in revealing himself and his word to Israel. He shone with 10,000 saints, a fiery law, he was king. The Lord was very special to Moses, and that's what he's pointing out in those first five verses. This adds a sense of awe and drama, and grandeur to Moses' prophetic words. He's been talking and being a prophet for a long, long time. And this illustration that he gives here in these first five verses really points that out. So let's let's read these again. His final blessing on Israel. We'll just go through the first five verses. Now this is a blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned on from the Mount Seir Sire. Seir. He shorn forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints. From his right hand came a fiery law of them. Yes, he loved the people, all of his saints are in your hand, they sit down at your feet, everyone receives your word. Moses commanded a law for us, a heritage of the congregation of Jacob, and he was king in Jerusalem which the leaders of the people were gathered, all the tribes of Israel together. Je- Jezerim is another word for Israel. It's only used about four times in the Bible, three times here in Deuteronomy, and once in another place. And it can mean Israel, or it can actually mean Jerusalem. It's where they are. So then he gets down to verse 29. When he finishes this blessing, he says, Happy or blessed are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people Saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, and the sword of your majesty, your enemies shall submit to you, and you shall tread down their high places. And I really think that sometimes when we look at Israel as a type, of either you as a believer, or us as a church, that we can see some of the power that God would have for us. Blessed are you, O Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks, could you imagine reading it like that? Happy are you, or blessed are you, O Calvary Chapel Twin Peaks. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. Take that to the broader church, to all the Christians. Who is like you? You've been saved by the Lord. How powerful the church should be, and yet it's not. We're not really, we're struggling right now with the way culture and society are pressing on us. Our universities, there's there's tremendous pressure. Uh, even at Christian universities where they're trying to take the, the Bible and the, and the thinking of the Christian thinking out. It's, it's hard. It's being pressured everywhere, everywhere we go. But why aren't we making a difference? Why aren't we... Every unwanted, unborn person should be willing to be taken in by us. Every one of them. We should stand up and say, we will take every single child that you would abort. And we will pay for you. Come live with us. We will pay for the birth. We will see that your child is adopted. And there shouldn't be a couple 20 or 30 people in front of those places that give the abortions. There should be a couple thousand people standing every day saying, Go ahead, walk on down here, but we will take your baby. We will take you in. We will give you a job. We will feed you. We will clothe you. We will take care of your medical things. We will do everything we can to save your child. Why are they homeless? Can you imagine the impact the church could have and should have on the homeless? Yeah, I know it's dangerous. Yeah, I know you don't know what you're taking in, and I know that there might be disease and they might be crooks, and they might, you know, I know there's a lot of reasons for it. But man, there should be some way that we as a church, and I mean the whole church, has a way to take people in to screen them. To give them the medical attention that they need, to clothe them, to clean them, to feed them, and move them back on into society, and love them so much that they would be able to step out of that that life. Down where we are in Orange County, in the edges of Los Angeles County, um, there's just a lot of there's a lot of homeless people walking around, and it just really breaks your heart when you see it. It's just it's really tough. Um you know, Frank, I know you probably see it, especially when you were on the Metro District. They're, they're there. But you know what? It's just one of those things that we could do more. And Pastor Brian this morning was calling out to new a new generation to rise up. And he surprised me because he kind of likes the 30-somethings, you know, the 30... 28 to 30 to 40-year-old people. That's kind of his niche. And he said, no, I'm not talking about you 30-year-olds and 35-year-olds. I want some 18 and 20-year-olds. We need a new generation to step up and carry this message of the Lord. We need to start, there needs to be an army lifted up. And uh, so we're going from there. So, blessed are you, oh, Michael. Who's like you, a person saved by the Lord? We have so much. We're so blessed. We have to be convicted of what we have to do with that. We're all doing our parts. Chapter 34 deals with the death of Moses. The burial of Moses. Um, So, let's see. Let's just read verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died. What's going to be on your epitaph? What's going to be on your headstone? What would you like have written on your headstone? My mom says she prayed for us all. Because that's what she did. She was the person in the family that when you were in trouble you called her because you knew that you were going to be prayed for. And I can tell you there were many nights when she was up walking the hallway sometimes just saying the name Jesus over and over and over. And I said, "What's going on?" She said, "Well, cousin so and so called and they got him a problem and blah blah blah. So I'm going to I'm going to pray all night for him." So what would you want written on your tombstone? One line was on his servant of God. It wasn't Moses, the prince of Egypt. It wasn't Moses, the murderer of an Egyptian. It wasn't Moses, the shepherd for the wilderness. It wasn't Moses, the spokesman for the whole nation. It wasn't Moses, the miracle worker. It wasn't Moses, the prophet. It wasn't Moses the man who saw a piece of the glory of God. Remember when he passed by him? It wasn't Moses who never entered the promised land. At the end of it all, it was title, it was the title was simply Moses the servant of the Lord. What a blessing to be called a servant of the Lord. What a blessing it is for those of us who get to see you serving the Lord and having a servant's heart and being able to to jump in and do those things that need to be done. Not always having to be asked or recruited, but just saying, hey, what? let me help you. Let me take that for you. Let me do that. But I did find a simple test to see how you're doing in servanthood. Are you a servant or not? Here's how it works. I'd like to see how you react when somebody treats you like a servant? When somebody treats you like a servant, how do you react? Hey, don't you know I'm a pastor? Hey, don't you know I've been going to church for a long time, you know? When somebody comes and they treat you like a servant, how do you act? Verse 10. But since then there has not arisen in israel a prophet like moses whom the lord knew face to face since then no prophet joshua was a capable leader for israel and god's work will and it does go on we're going to start learning about that next week several things made moses unique the lord knew him face to face and That's unique. It's not literally face-to-face. But he had an intimacy with God. He had a place with God. It's the idea of a free and unhindered communication. Moses had a remarkable, intimate relationship with God. Moses was unique in a number and kinds of miraculous works that he was associated with. Moses was unique in the power and the authority with which he led the nation of Israel. There were greater leaders than Moses over Israel. There were greater prophets. There were greater priests in Israel than Moses. But before the coming of Jesus Christ, there was never one man who held the offices that Moses held and had him gloriously.